which is welcome in Icelandic. Welcome to another episode of Daddy Unscripted. I'm Tim Wheaton. I'm the creator and podcast host, and I'm very excited for my guest today on this episode. I am going to be sitting and talking with Bob Ruff, who some of you may know who that is and some of you may not. And for those of you who do not, I'm going to help you out right now. So in the world of podcasting, there is a, an extremely popular podcast that has millions and millions of downloads and is world-renowned that is called Serial. Serial is a podcast that was set up to tell multiple stories and it goes, I think, between 10 and 15 episodes for each season. The first season is regarding this situation with a kid, I will say kid because he was 17 at the time, named Adnan Syed, who was accused of murdering his ex-girlfriend. Uh, Heyman Lee. This took place in the Baltimore area back in 1999. And Serial tells the story of his conviction, of the trial, of everything that kind of took place in kind of a 2020 kind of format. Tells the story and kind of leads you to hey, this may not have been him who did it, and this is kind of why. It's kind of a broad storyline of it, and it's very well done, extremely professionally done, etc. Award-winning. And since that took place, there have been multiple podcasts about this. And so the whole reason that Serial came into being was there is this woman, Rabia Chaudhry. She is very close to the family, and she had brought this case to serial for it to even take place and after that podcast happened she joined up with two attorneys and created another podcast that's called undisclosed so undisclosed kind of takes flight from serial and goes over all of these different specific situations in regards to the case in regards to the trial in regards to the murder of Heyman Lee and breaks it all down like as far as you can potentially break it down and it's multiple episodes and it's fascinating how much didn't take place and how much took place that shouldn't have taken place and sheds the light on all of these potential wrongdoings by the prosecutors, by the police uh, that took place, um, how poorly he was represented by his defense attorney he being Adnan and he was convicted of murder and has been in prison ever since so he is now 33 years old I believe and he has been in prison for 17 years and I will not give anything away but there is this gentleman Bob Ruff who was a fire chief out in Michigan And he, much like me, listened to podcasts and fell into Serial and completely devoured it and was so fascinated by it. And I should say also, he was also a fire investigator. So he was the one who kind of, if there was a fire that took place, he had to investigate why it was started, what happened, especially if it is one that involves arson. So... 
he was taking his investigatorial skills and did kind of his own investigation of this case as well. And he already had his own podcast that was basically him sitting around and talking with his uh, fellow firefighters, which I believe is called Off Duty. And you can find that podcast as well. But he started doing this investigation. He started doing a podcast, which at the time was called Serial Dynasty. And he was basically wanting to talk with other people and get their theories and talk about it. Because as he says in this in our podcasts, nobody wanted to talk about it with him. So he created this podcast and it just blew up. Uh, there were so many people who were talking to him and writing to him and listening to his podcast. And he eventually moved on to another case. And he is dealing with all of these wrongful conviction situations and is investigating them and has since retired from the fire department in January of this year. And this is what he does now. It's, it's amazing. It's a fascinating story. So Bob and I sat down finally today to have two episodes recorded between us. We will have a Fork in the Road episode that will talk a lot about his podcast and uh, how he came to be within the world of podcasting, etc. But this episode goes back into his history, um, him being a dad. It's a, it's a very interesting story. He has kind of a mixed family situation with his wife, Becky, and they have four kids of their own. And it's, it's a really cool story about his parenting, his uh, relationship with his own dad, and what that kind of created, what kind of man it created of him, and how he is passing that along now to um, his own children. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Bob and myself, and here we go. sitting down with Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice podcast. You may have heard him and you may be a listener and a person who has uh, subscribed to that podcast and watching and waiting for them to hit your phone as many people have been doing for a multitude of podcasts, especially those um, with that interest of serial and all these cases. So uh, thanks for joining me today, Bob. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So like I said, I, I don't really know. I know that you are a dad. Uh, and that got me kind of excited when I realized that and said, oh, cool, I can potentially uh, have that ability to, to sit down and talk with you. But we'll get into that as well. But uh, do you want to start off with a little back history of uh, yourself and your own father? Uh, sure. Yeah, my dad, uh, Bruce Ruff. Uh, mom and dad have been married, you know, they've, they've always, they're still married today. Um, so I didn't come from a broken home or anything like that. I actually, I had a great relationship with my dad, still have a great relationship with my dad. Um, I was actually over at his house last night mm. and we've always had that kind of, uh, you know, dad and best friend relationship. And that's something that I've always tried to, you know, portray with my, with my kids, because uh, it's just, it's always been, you know, dad's always been dad, but dad's also been the guy I went to deer camp with and, you know, played cards with on Thursday nights and just hung out and 
uh, you know, just chatted with or, you know, but, but he was still always that dad when I needed, you know, when I needed some fatherly advice or anything like that, just we, we've always had a, a really good relationship, uh, a balanced relationship between father and friend. That's funny. I actually talked about that with some moms that uh, work at my nine to five at an animal hospital uh, just yesterday. Some new moms talking about the balance uh, between being a friend and being a parent and how difficult that can be, especially for the stay at homes or whatever, when you're spending so much time with with your child and uh, they're kind of you're it to them, you're their world and finding the the gumption in you to uh, discipline this child that is basically kind of becomes your your best friend is a struggle for sure at the beginning. When they're older, I'm sure it's a completely different struggle. I'm not there yet, so I haven't experienced, but uh, I did from the other side. And sorry to my mom. <laughs> well, I was saying, you know, I I thought my dad was an idiot along with my mother when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. It wasn't until I you know got a little bit older and you know, a little bit wiser before I figured out that uh, he actually he actually was a pretty bright guy. Yeah. And so, what did your dad do for a living? So my dad was a um, a sales rep. My dad my dad has a bachelor's degree in something that most people aren't aware that exists and probably doesn't exist anymore. Uh, he has a degree in food distribution, um, which means he would you know when you go to the grocery store and you have all the things on the shelf, there's a there's a guy every one of those companies you know whether it's you know Kellogg cereal or uh, Durky spices or whatever it is, there's there's a person that comes in and you know, make sure the inventory of those things is up to par, puts in new orders for the, uh, for the suppliers or for the store, uh, and then, you know, pitches new products to them and things like that. So, so that's what my dad did, but you know, he had a, he had a rough road of it growing up. And I think it's been, you know, part of what has kind of helped me develop into the person that I am now. So when I was, oh, when I was in middle school, my dad lost his job of 17 years. Mm. He used to work for Durkee Spices, uh, which I think they're back now. Uh, for a little while, they disappeared, but he had been there for 17 years, and that company, they got bought out several times and merged, and then eventually, I think, went out of business, and he lost that job. And uh, the issue was, you know, when my dad, 30 years ago, uh, his his job consisted of traveling to a range of stores you know that you know he would have a thirty mile radius and hit thirty stores in there from uh, when all the little mom and pop stores existed. Uh, but as all the you know the the super WalMarts and the Krogers and the Meyer and you know depending right. on what part of the country you're in came up, those store little stores went away, and his area got bigger and so did his job. But so Dad went through in middle school a few years of uh, not having a job and and working for any little part-time gig that he could find just to make ends meet. You know, I remember him working nights at one point, stocking um, shelves at a grocery store. And, you know, and, you know, kind of the cool thing about it for me was, and I didn't realize this till later, that uh, my dad had actually been offered when the companies got bought out, because uh, this happened twice. It happened again later, uh, about 10 years later, with the next company he worked for. Wow. Uh, he was offered, you know, high-level management positions and huge salaries, but all of those positions came with a move to, I think once was to Detroit and once was to Cleveland, Ohio. And we're from a, you know, 
we have a house out in the country in a small little country town in Southwest Michigan. And dad didn't want to raise his kids in the big city. He wanted to keep us where we were. And so he, you know, stock shelves at night rather than move us into Detroit. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, um, my, my old job wanted to relocate me to Cleveland. So I know that pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I also did not accept that, that, uh, challenge. Right. So, uh, you grew up in that, uh, small town and went through all of your schooling. Do you have siblings or are you an only child? I do. I have two other brothers. Uh, I have an older brother and a younger brother. My older brother, Buck, is uh, two years older than me. And then my younger brother, Brent, is nine years younger than me. Okay. So you had kind of the middle child experience, which uh, yeah. did did that kind of have any effect on you being the middle child? Did you, I know you've heard of all the different cliches of oldest child syndrome, middle child, youngest child, do you, did you feel like you were the lost Malcolm in the middle kind of situation or no? No, you know, I really did. I, I give my parents a heart. Matter of, matter of fact, just last night, uh, my wife and I were over there with the kids. They were, the kids were swimming in their pool. And uh, I, I always give my parents a hard time about my little brother, Brent. Uh, you know, he's, he's nine years younger than me. And I was telling him, you know, he was the, he was the baby and he got everything, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's really all just in fun. You know, I, I, I never felt that I was, you know, that, that, that whole middle child syndrome where I was kind of forgotten about. That's good. Yeah. I, I am the uh, youngest of eight. So I get a lot of, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I get a lot of that uh, from some of my siblings. I'm, I'm very close with my brother who is a year and a half older than me and actually is my boss. I work at his animal hospital. So I get to see him every day and we're like, we've been best friends forever. Did the whole bunk bed experience as Mm -hmm. kids and whatnot. And, uh, he will give me, actually, I think at some point this week, he we were talking about something when we were kids and he was saying that I was being very Timothy about something and, uh, kind of leaning towards that baby of the family syndrome but <laughs> i you know I, I do it i bring it up mostly just to give my mother a hard time last night we were talking about it, it was there was something about breastfeeding i don't know why that came up or what, <laughs> whatever the conversation was and, and of course only of the three of us only my baby brother got you know was breastfed so <laughs> was uh, so anytime anything <laughs> like that comes up it's like oh the baby got breastfed <laughs> you know the rest of us just get formula, but the baby gets it. <laughs> I'm sure that your brother enjoys that heavily of that chiding. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's always a it's always fun when he's around. <laughs> so then you go through uh, schooling. And when when did you meet your wife? So uh, Becky is is not my first wife. Okay, uh, we, I met her. Oh, shoot. It's been about 10 years ago now. Um, actually during my divorce. So we're, we're a blended family. We have four kids, but two were from my first marriage and two were from her first marriage. Um, and in 2006, uh, I was, I got divorced and was just single dad paying child support as a fireman working 24 hour shifts, not making the greatest money in the world. And so on my days off, I started substitute teaching at a school for emotionally emotionally impaired children. 
mm. uh, which is where my wife works and my, my wife now works. And um, we just, you know, those, the special education schools typically have a teacher and a paraprofessional in every room. And it just so happened that the teacher that worked in her room uh, utilized as many of her sick days as she could. Uh, so, so we spent oh. a lot of time, but we were just friends for, for years. Actually, I have a pretty, uh, uh, interesting slash embarrassing story that I've actually been married to my first wife twice. Uh, <laughs> so you're gonna have to explain that. <laughs> sure, this is uh, so uh, we got married very young. We got married at 20 years old. Uh, we're married for five or six years. Got pregnant. Had my first son, Quentin. And uh, shortly after that, I mean, almost immediately after that, uh, we ended up splitting up, getting divorced. Uh, and then uh, another thing that I don't talk about too much is there was another little short marriage in the middle there. This is getting uglier as I tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, kind of on the rebound was uh, started dating someone and we jumped in and got married in six months and then realized, you know, like a couple days later that that was a bad idea mm -hmm. and ended that. But that experience uh, led me to, to reconsider the first marriage. And it was mostly due to my son, my son, Quentin, you know, I was, mm -hmm. you know, what I had kind of mentioned when we first started talking that, you know, my parents have been together my whole life. I, I didn't grow up with the experience of, you know, every other weekend at moms or dads. It was really, really hitting me that my son was having to go through that, you mm -hmm. know, that, that, you know, I didn't have to deal with this and he has to deal with it. And, you know, I just went through a very emotional time and then, you know, and also, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian too. And so there was like this spiritual kind of moment where I still remember to this day, I was sitting in our stand, we were playing air hockey with Quentin in my living room because I was a bachelor. So of course I had an air hockey table in my living room. Yeah, of course. Or yeah. darts. <laughs> yeah. And so Quentin and I were playing air hockey and I remember just looking and just thinking, God, I don't. There was a moment where I realized that I didn't want my son to grow up and be like me because time, mm -hmm. you know, I was a bachelor and just kind of when I didn't have when I wasn't at work or didn't have my kids, which wasn't that much, you know, I was out just having a good time and living it up. And I just kind of had this this moment of clarity where it was like, I don't want my son to grow up to be like me. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be the dad that I want him to grow up to be. And part of that was kind of reconnecting with his mom saying, Hey, we need to give this another shot for Quentin's sake, you know, cause we got along and stuff at that time. And so we actually got remarried and then, uh, got pregnant again with my second son, Parker. And, uh, long story short, you know, realized that we, we got divorced for a reason the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, and ended up back in the same place. So in a period of like three years, I went through three divorces, uh, but only with two different women. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that brings that number to a different. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I went through a really, a really rough time, uh, you know, personally during that as far as, you know, just my own actions doing doing things that I'm not proud of. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was, you know, I remember when we split the second the second time just thinking, you know, all I've ever, you know, my dad's always been my hero. You know, dad, he's just always was a guy that was always there, always took care of his family, did whatever he had to do to make ends meet, took care of my mom. You know, I just, all these other things aside, all I ever really wanted to be was a husband and a dad. And here I am a failure for the third time in that. Mm -hmm. um, but during that, you know, Becky and I had been, Becky is my, my wife. Um, 
now. And Becky and I had been, you know, friends for a long time and we happened to be going through divorce at the, at the, at the same time. And a couple of years later is where I'm at now is, you know, I'm, I'm married to my best friend, which is about the, the best situation. I never thought that I would want four kids, you know, it's just right. so much to deal with, but it's yeah. you know, when you're with the, with the right person. I mean, Becky really is my best friend. We actually just celebrated our 10 or, uh, sorry, our, our three year anniversary, uh, yesterday. Yes. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and so we were, we were together for a couple of years and then we got married. We've been married for three and, you know, we have a, a blended family. We have four kids. Last year we had one starting preschool, one in elementary school, one starting middle school and one starting high school all at the same time. And the high schooler is your oldest. No, the high schooler is Becky's oldest, Jackson. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jackson. Her oldest is 15, going into a sophomore year high school. That's Jackson. And then my oldest, Quentin, is 11. He's getting ready to start sixth grade. And then her youngest is Bella, who's one year younger than him, that is moving up to the middle school this year in fifth grade. And then my youngest is Parker, who is uh, five and is starting kindergarten this year. Oh, goodness. So three boys, one girl. Yes, and how how was their integration into the family mix between you guys? How was that transition for all of them? It's been good. I think you know. I think that kids have a tendency to protect, feel the need that they need to protect their parents. Um, I know you know that my son specifically, Quentin, my oldest boy, because Parker was just a baby, uh, but Bella was five and Quentin was six. Uh, and Jackson was 10 when we got together. And I think both of our oldest boys, Jackson and Quentin, you know, they didn't talk about it much. They never told us if they had an issue. You know, we could see signs of, you know, I, I don't like this. You know, in, in Quentin's mm-hmm. case, he went in one year's time from being an only child, spent most of his younger years with his mom and dad split. So when he was with me, it was 100% one-on-one, dad and lad right. time. When he was with mom, it was 100% one-on-one. And then I went from that to, okay, I have a baby brother and now I have two step, uh, you know, step siblings. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was hard on him, but he would, he would always, even when I would try to get him to talk about it, he just, no, dad, I'm fine, dad. I'm fine, dad. I'm fine, dad. Um, but I think that's a lot of, you know, I guess for other parents going through similar situations, just be aware of the fact that, you know, you wouldn't think that a 10 year old would think, and actually at that time, a six, six, seven year old would feel the need to to protect their their parent but i think that's ingrained into them you know he didn't mm-hmm. want to tell me that there was something wrong i mean the transition went smooth but i you know i know that he occasionally i would get him to open up a little bit that he you know had feeling you know i, I remember one time just broke my heart you know he was having just a, a rough day and you know that you know, when your kid's having a hard time and you realize that it, there's more to it than what they're saying, you know, yeah. it wasn't just because his sister stole the remote to his TV. It was, there was something bigger that was causing, right, right. causing this. And I remember him asking me, dad, is Bella your favorite? And that's uh, Becky's daughter. It was horrible. And it was just, I mean, just to see number one, to see the hurt in him, uh, that he had been harboring those feelings, uh, it was just horrible. And, and anytime you see your kid hurting, it's, it's, I mean, it, like you said, it's a gut punch. Yeah. But, you know, and it was just from, you know, that particular week, he happened to be doing stuff that was, you know, pissing me off more than Mm -hmm. (laughs) normal. So he was in trouble a lot that week. (laughs) Bella was having a particularly good week. And, and of course, you know, being the one girl, she knows how to (laughs) play. Oh, yeah. She's, uh, 
you know, she, she's having a good week. She's not in trouble. So it's all hugs and sitting on laps. And right. Uh, of course, she's got those beautiful big brown eyes. She can bat at me and wrap me around her finger. So it was that. And then, you know, I think, you know, there's probably a conversation that, you know, with siblings that, you know, well, <laughs> I'm your dad's favorite. I'm sure something like that was said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, the, you know, there were there were those times. But, you know, we try to talk it out. You know, I had a, you know, in a very strange mentor uh in parenting and it was um my my former partner at the fire department we worked we were the shift lieutenants uh, at opposite stations we worked together every day we worked and he has no kids yeah but he was just a guy that was just a very insightful guy and i remember still to this day his name is craig lear he's still there lieutenant craig lear um before quentin was born um, telling me you need to make sure you know, when, when your son's born, you tell him you love him every day. And of course I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. And he's like, no, listen, it's not enough for him just to know it. Tell him you love him every day. Talk to your kid. You know, and, and I don't honestly know where that, if, if that was from his experience as a son or mm-hmm. how that happened, but it was, it was just something that stuck with me. And I think it was some of the best advice I ever got because, you know, there's, that I have a very, I mean, my, my, my son, shares everything with me just like I did with my dad because I just have always, you know, talked to him about anything, try to, and sometimes it's, especially with him, he's, he's, he locks stuff up. It's hard to draw things out, but uh, having those conversations with him uh, has been, you know, a big part of, I think, you know, him growing up and into being a good man and, and, you know, helping me develop as a father. Yeah. So with your, with your situation going back, how supportive were your parents of all of these kind of moves that you were making with um, the divorces and whatnot? Was was that a strained period with you and your parents? Um, I'm assuming that your Christian background was a, a family uh, united thing, which it, I don't have to assume that, but uh, if it was. Yes, it was. Um, was that something that you all kind of talked through and there was, um, that sub level of guilt and whatnot that took place, or I'm assuming because of how you've described your relationship with your dad so far that he was probably very good. And at least on the level horizontal side of being very supportive of you. You know, he was, both my parents have always supported. There really was no rift where, you know, and, and, and where in some of the time there, there should, to be honest, should have been. I mean, I was doing some pretty stupid stuff, you know, and so, you know, dad would on occasion, you know, have those conversations like you need to get your head out of your ass. Uh, but at the same time, they were always supportive of me. And, you know, when I, you know, after all the, all this and, and three divorces with two wives and then, mm-hmm. you know, bringing you know, my new girlfriend in Becky to come meet them, you know, they've, you know, they welcomed her with open arms. My parents have just always been, you know, dad will tell me what I'm screwing up at the end of the day. He's, he's always going to support me. And my mom's the same way. I always say my mom is my, is my biggest fan. And if I don't give a nice shout out to my mom and tell her how much I love you, mommy, she's going to be very upset because she says I never talk about her on podcasts when I interview. <laughs> uh. Tell her, um, tell her I'm very sorry. Mommy unscripted just didn't seem to work well for me <laughs> as well. I didn't think the audience would understand. And... Right. <laughs> I'll let her know. Okay. Um, I actually, that's funny because my mom, I've, 
I think when I first kind of talked about this right off the bat, she was like, well, will you ever have any moms on your podcast? And uh, there are a few single moms at my work, and I've talked with one of them, and I've said, I'm actually not sure if I will get, I mean, my level of flack won't be very high, but uh, if it will be so bad for me to at some point have on a, a single mom who basically is playing that role of dad as well, because I know how difficult all of that is. I was a quote unquote pseudo stay at home dad for the first 18 or so months of my uh, eldest, my um, now about to turn eight year old daughter's life. Uh, my wife went back to work. And I was, quote unquote, working from home with my daughter. And I know the struggle of that. And I always had a high level of respect for single or stay at home moms before that. But uh, being at home, being the complete source of basically everything for your child, especially during those years or that time of a child's life, I uh, have a lot of respect for moms. So uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good experience for any dad to go through to, I think it helps develop you into a better parent and a better spouse, mm-hmm. you know, for my, you know, because I was, you know, a, a single dad, uh, for, for several years when, when, you know, through the, the infancy and toddlerhood of my, uh, my oldest boy. And so, you know, I, I had the experience where there, you know, I had to give the baths and trim the fingernails and change the diapers and, uh, you know, do all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, you know, it's helped me to be a better husband now because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't have that. Not that I ever really did because my dad wasn't like that either. But I think from talking to a lot of friends of mine, married couples, it seems to be the norm where a lot of men kind of take the role of, well, all that stuff is the mom's job and that's right. the wife's job. And, you know, is even, even cooking and cleaning and, and doing laundry and things like that. Well, when you spend some time taking care of that stuff on your own, you realize how much work that is. And, you know, I'm, I try to always make sure that I'm, I'm pitching in and helping my wife in any way I can, because, you know, I've been in that position where I had to do everything and work a full-time job, which, you know, my wife works a full-time job and, and takes care of all that stuff around the house. So uh, it, I think it helps you kind of have that mentality, get rid of that mentality that, well, that's just her job. She's the wife. Yeah. It's kind of that funny thing, not really funny, but uh, with social media, and we see this a lot on our Facebooks because we have a lot of, um, we are friends with a lot of youngish parents, and you see the posts by the moms of what a great, dad my husband is or what a great husband he is he took care of the kids tonight so I could go out or uh, the dad saying that and we always kind of my wife and I always have a joke about it uh, when we notice that and say you're just being the dad like you're doing what, right. you, what you should be doing yeah taking care of the kids one night or whatever so yeah I've had friends of mine that have kind of patted themselves on the back to me and you know they're <laughs> You know, I babysat the kids last night so my wife could go out. It's like, well, first of all, you're not babysitting; they're your kids. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and it's your, it's your job. And you know, how many times has your wife quote babysat your kids so you could go out? I try to remember that as I 
come home from a long day at work as I am coming home to my wife who has been dealing with our uh, four and seven year old all day, especially during these summer months Mm -hmm. where they are not in school and remembering that, you know, her conversations with adults may have been very limited during Mm -hmm. that day. And the two hours before bedtime of the minimal amount of frustration that I may go through from uh, my kids, like wanting to be into every little moment that I'm doing or whatever and think about that that was eight or nine hours of my wife's day when I was not there. So Yeah, and that's rough. I mean, you have them both right in that age. My my youngest, Parker, is that's the age he's at right now where he wants to do. If I'm coming out to the studio to work, he wants to follow me. If I'm walking out to the car to get something to bring inside, he wants to walk out there with me and come back. And it's, yeah, it's easy, <laughs> it's easy yeah. to get frustrated. Like, just stay in the hall. I'll be back in 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah, I'm just going to take the trash out. It's not exciting. Right. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, I when I'm able to take a breath and think about it and soak that in and enjoy, you know, like they always say, savor these moments when they're really little, because when they're teenagers, they're not going to give a hoot about you. Right. Um, and many times quite the opposite. And, uh, you know, the moment when I'm leaving for work in the morning and my son runs up to me and says, are you working today? And I say that I am. And he gets all disappointed and bummed out. And then Saturdays when he asks, are you going to work today? And I say no. And he like his beam of excitement that I'm not going to be gone all day. And there's the potential for lots of hangout time is, you know, I know 10 years from now that I'm going to look back at that and say, Remember when you were when you used to like me? That was right. fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't just take off. Yeah, we have the. I'm experiencing that now with, uh, you know, our our oldest. Becky's oldest is you know he's 15, going on 16, and now all of a sudden we're not so cool anymore. Like mm-hmm. we every time we you know we go to, you know, we went to a big barbecue party this weekend, you know, with pool and stuff like that and things. And there's a lot of the stuff now he just doesn't want to go. And he's like, I'm just gonna stay home. I don't feel like doing that. And it's like, damn, you were up our, <laughs> you know, you were you were right behind us. Everything we were doing, driving us nuts a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and now it would be. You wish we had that back that he'd come do some stuff with us sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's the the fun transitions of life. It, that's the interesting thing for you with having the uh, spectrum of ages that you have that you're going to. I mean, I, I I can't imagine like thinking about my parents with eight kids that are spanning. Uh, I guess when I was born, my oldest sibling was probably uh, 18, somewhere between 16 and 18 years old. So the, you know, the range of different attitudes and emotions and whatever that you're having to go through of the different ages of kids, it's I I would probably get very confused. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And. And and just trying to learn because you know what, what I think a lot of non parents or you know to be honest even some parents that think they have it all figured out, uh, but what a lot of non parents think is that you know they they have the perfect plan to parenting and from my experience it's been you know no, nobody has an instruction manual on how to do this and every single kid is different you know they learn differently they have different emotions they react differently to different things and 
it's, you know, I say all the time that it's, you know, parenting is trial and error. You know, my hope is by the time I get the, the fourth one through high school that, you know, maybe we'll have it somewhat figured out and, you know, it's too bad. (laughs) It's too bad for the older ones. It's kind of like, Oh, let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Don't do that one again. You know, it's like, or, you know, that's, this seems to work, but you know, it's having to learn that how to be a parent in these different ages if that is you're learning as you go and then having to be learning all of that with, you know, eight different kids at a time, you know, I'm just for me, even, even with four, you know, I'm, I'm hoping applying things to Parker at five that, you know, I did right when, you know, the other, I was, I wasn't around when Jackson was five, but Quentin and Bella were both about that age. Uh, so as I'm applying some of that stuff to him, it gets a little easier with him because I've been through it, but, you know, dealing with a high schooler for the first time, like every single day is a new challenge. Oh gosh, I I weep for my future of, of <laughs> parent with a high schooler, especially for the uh, possibility of the karma that will be coming down on me. Yeah, same here. My own youth. <laughs> I caused my parents a lot of a lot of strife in high school. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I knew a lot. I was a lot smarter than them then, or so I thought. Uh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. With your kids and uh, with Becky's kids, was there a sizable hurdle for you to have to transition into kind of becoming their dad? Is it still something that is still, there is a gap there or how, how was that assimilation and into their lives for you? Uh, it, It was a pretty smooth transition, but at the same time, it's a, it is a challenge all the time. You know, when you, when you blend a family together you know, Jackson and Bella, they're, you know, their dad's a great guy and they, and they have a, a solid father figure outside of me. And then they also, they're with us most of the time. So then they have mm-hmm. me the rest of the time. So, you know, they accepted, but, you know, I, I didn't get a whole lot of the, you know, you're my, not my dad. You can't tell me what to do type of thing that a lot mm-hmm. of step parents go through. And I don't know what the reason is for that, but uh, the, I think the struggle with blending a family is, you know, I, I have my methods of parenting and my wife has her methods of parenting before we got together. And a lot of that was based on the relationship types that we had before that. Uh, my relationship with my wife was very different than her relationship with her ex-husband. Um, th- that, that I think is more of the struggle uh, when you bring right. kids in because there's almost this fairness thing. Like I tended to be more strict than she was. And so, you know, I had these rules for my kids where, you know, for example, you know, at that time when Quentin was, you know, was six years old, it was eight, eight o'clock's bedtime. You're going to bed at eight. And whereas, you know, she might have let, you know, during the summertime, her six-year-old stay up later. It's whatever. So then it, then you, you, you have kind of those conflicts where, well, I, I want to send my kid to bed at eight because that's when I send him to bed. But if you let your daughter stay up later, who's younger than him, he's going to be upset. You know, so it's... You know, and we've done, I think, a, a fantastic job of of blending those things. I, I, you know, I I think I've realized that I was overly strict on a lot of things, and she's realized she was a little, you know, under not as strict as maybe she should have been on some things. And we've we've kind of met somewhere in the middle, and I think it's been a good blend. Uh, but that that is to me was the the biggest struggle is blending those families together. When you have you know you have any two people you put together, you're going to have two somewhat different parenting styles. So what about with um, your wife's parents? Are they in the picture? Yes. Yep. Okay. They actually live uh, about a block away from us. We have the, oh, wow. 
Yeah, it's not quite everybody loves Raymond, but it's it's real close. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I have great in-laws. They've been very supportive of us, you know, and they've really taken in my kids as their own grand, grandchildren. And of course, my parents have done the same too. They have a lot closer relationship with Bella than Jackson because, you know, Jackson's in high school and doesn't like to do things with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, we've... I think we're both blessed with with really good in-laws. That's fantastic. Uh, so when you are parenting now that you are going through all of this, do you see anything of your dad's parenting style in you? Are you doing a lot of things where you're feeling like you are a carbon copy of what he did? Are you... Um, making kind of conscious decisions of this is what worked for me with my dad. And I know you touched a little bit on the fact that your relationship with your son is very similar to how yours is slash was with your dad. Is there anything to that kind of going on in your parenting or? Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, it's, it's a, a blend of, you know, I guess parenting skills that I picked up from both my parents. See, one thing that my dad is not is he's not a very affectionate guy. You know, he, I, I think, I remember the last ta- time my dad and I told each other we loved each other, and it was about 15 years ago, and it was uh, an accident. <laughs> it, was, yeah. I was, it was when I was living out in Colorado. I guess, shoot, it's been closer to 20 years now. Um, I went to college out there, then I lived out there for a couple of years and we were talking on the phone and i was used to talking to my my now ex-wife and you know at the end of every conversation it was all right i love you goodbye and so i'm chatting with my dad and i was like all right love you bye and it was like both of us were like uh, what, <laughs> what like, was that and he's like uh i love you too i'm like all right all right good bye 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 let's hang up <laughs> you know but it so so that's something that you know it's just it's just kind of my dad's personality but it's one, you know, it's one of those things. You know, I've I've never questioned for one second in my life that my dad didn't love me and would you know would would jump in front of a bus for me. But it's just something that goes unsaid with him, where I don't do that with with my son. I'm 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 very affectionate with him. You know, he's to and I think I think at this point he still likes it. But you know, before bed every night, you know, even my 11 year old gets gets a big hug and tell him I love him, and uh, that's just that's something that I got more from my mom. But my normal day-to-day relationship with my sons, or with all four kids, is uh, is a, almost a mirror image of my dad's relationship with me, which you know was always, you know, my dad's a smart aleck and he likes to joke around and he always poke fun at me and you know and me the other way around and and I definitely that that was you know you think about parts of my childhood that that I have just such fond memories of and it was always having that joking back and forth relationship with my dad. And so I have this, I do do the exact same thing with, with, with my kids, you know, Quentin, especially, mm-hmm. you know, as my, my oldest boy. And I spend a lot of time with him because, you know, he, he goes to school. Both my boys go to school in a town 30 miles away from here where my ex-wife lives. So we have a, we spend a lot of time in the car together and, and there's a lot of ribbing going back and forth all the time. And that, that is something that I have, you know, picked up from my relationship with my dad that I I passed down to my relationship with my son. Mm-hmm. And potentially, I think I've heard this from more people that I've talked to that are, I think I'm probably a bit older than you, but that are in my range of their fathers. And it seems like that is 
not too uncommon, especially uh, depending on where their upbringing was of kind of that day and age of not really having that affectionate side and, you know, it being, and I think you will even see a lot of that portrayed in television and movies of, um, that, of people of that era. And I'm just totally categorized your dad and I'm sorry, (laughs) but you know what I mean? I, I, I've talked with a lot of guys that their parents are anywhere from their sixties on up. And I think a lot of dads kind of were that way. It was, you know, you weren't very affectionate and that all came from the mom's side. Right. Yeah. And you know, my wife's relationship with her parents is, is the exact same way. You know, we, we just recently had this conversation that she can't remember the last time her dad told her that he loves her either, but in the same way, she's never for a second doubted that he loved her. And that's, mm-hmm. I think it is a, it's a, could be a generational thing you know i think i think you're you're right to kind of categorize that um but you know both of us have the exact same experience with with our fathers mm-hmm. and uh just to add this little tidbit of information and your your wife and her family are all kind of natives of that area as well yes yep okay so you kind of went in a little bit of a roundabout direction, went out there to Colorado for school, came back. And uh, was it ever a question of that? Or do you think you always were going to kind of be where you are geographically? No, I had every intention of living in Colorado. You know, I had, oh, okay. I had family out there and, um, and you know, my, my aunt and uncle were out there. My uncle actually passed away uh, when I was in middle school he was a fireman out there and you know my intention was to go live in Colorado I loved it when I visited it but then after living in a a big city in Colorado for a few years it just I I realized that I missed home I I I like the small town I like the fact that you know when I go into the grocery store or the gas station that everybody you know knows who I am and and you know they they know me by name I just when I was in the small town as a young man, I wanted to get away and I wanted to be at a place where there was more going on and there was a lot more mm-hmm. happening. And then once I was there, all I wanted to do was come back. So no, it wasn't my intention to come back, but after a couple of years, I, I couldn't wait to get back home. Well, it seems like everything kind of happened for the reason that it was supposed to. Oh yeah. I absolutely believe that. I think that, you know, I've had, uh, I've definitely had a broken road of, of my life, but I think it's all led me to you know, where I'm at now. And, you know, I couldn't be happier. I've got an amazing wife. I said, I'm married to my best friend. I have four kids that I love to death. You know, every day is I'm excited to wake up every day, mm-hmm. you know, and there which a- is awesome, which is that puts really, I think I've thought about this before and I talk about this a lot with the quote unquote kids that work where I work because I manage this group that is anywhere from 18 to, I'm sure there's a couple of outliers, but for the most part, 18 to 26-year-olds. And uh, I talk a lot about the choices that you make in life and uh, where you can find 
your joy and happiness and how completely unique it is to have a life where you are waking up every day excited to go to work. Right. And excited about what the day has ahead of you. And uh, I think that that's kind of not really a miracle when it happens, but it is it is very unlike the norm. So, yeah, I, I, I feel incredibly blessed. Like I said, you know, I've I've done some stupid things that have, should have left me in a much worse position than I'm in. But mm-hmm. I'm blessed enough to just be in a position, you know, I, every morning, you know, Becky and I both have we're, we're both very routine type people. And so, you know, every morning I get up earlier than her. I'm a morning person. She's not. So I was, you know, I go downstairs, let the dogs out, make coffee for both of us. I always, I always say she's a princess. She gets woken up every morning to coffee on her nightstand and a kiss on her forehead, you know, <laughs> to ease herself into awake. <laughs> where yeah. you know, I get the alarm going off and two dogs jump out of my head that want to go outside. <laughs> but, but you know, I I love it. I look forward to that. I look forward to that moment every every morning when when. She wakes up and we start watching the news together and having our coffee and our morning conversation. That's awesome that you're, and I don't say this in a, I'm saying this in an agreeing with you kind of way that your crooked path has um, really led to uh, this very happy place that you are in now. That's, I'm happy for you that it's gone that way. Well, thanks. I mean, that's yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm I'm happy for you, but I'm sure I'm nowhere near as happy as you are about it. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thanks for sitting in with us. We will transition uh, gently to an, another section, but uh, I will thank you at at the conclusion of this fathering episode for first of all sitting down, but secondly for sharing so much that. A lot of us probably did not know. Uh, I think that that makes for a very full picture of where your parenting has come from, where it's headed, and where a lot of your direction uh, from your dad has led into your present day experiences. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you having me on. It's nice to talk with other dads. Yeah. So do you want to lay out any of your social media where people can find you etc sure um if the place where i'm the most active is on twitter and i have two different twitter accounts the 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 twitter account that i'm the most active on is the one for the show which is at truth justice pod and that's me on there too but i also have a personal twitter that i had before that that i uh, is the one you've been messaging me on and as you say i forget it's there sometimes but that one's at bob ruff 4101 okay and we will get into a little bit more of Uh, what that truth and justice is all about in uh, our fork in the road, I'm sure. But again, thank you. And I will lead into the next conversation. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much for listening to this first episode with Bob Ruff. I hope you guys enjoyed that and got a lot out of that kind of background information on Bob and his parenting. It's really a cool story that I was not expecting at all. I was really coming into this and I told Bob beforehand 
I didn't really know much about his family life whatsoever. And coming into his story kind of late in the game as I have been, I don't know if he was, uh, if he even broadcast much of that publicly or not. So uh, really a cool story to see where he came from and uh, what he is now living as his day-to-day, not only um, what his life is like professionally, but what the transition has been and become for him with his wife and uh, bringing two families together and how that all kind of started and transpired for him. So really fascinating for me and a a good sit down and discussion. I told Bob after we recorded all the way through that I felt very akin with him on a lot of things that he was talking about and I really enjoyed that. So I hope you guys did as well. Again, uh, thank you very much for listening to uh, this podcast. If you didn't already, you can subscribe on iTunes. And I would love for you guys to leave a review, leave a little comment. I really do like getting the feedback from you guys on what you are liking, what you maybe aren't liking about the podcast. If you have further information that you want to give me, like uh, what kind of guests you'd like me to have on, uh, specific guests that you would like me to have on, shoot me an email. You can send that to daddyunscripted at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook as Daddy Unscripted and uh, interact with me on either one of those platforms as well. The original blog and the website is daddyunscripted.com. Pretty original, right? So you can find some of the older posts on there with Uh, some photos and some older writings from when I started the whole concept of Daddy Unscripted, as well as all the episodes are stored there. This is one of the first episodes to feature the music of Umphreys McGee. I just wanted to send out my very sincere and very large appreciation to the band and to their management for making this collaboration happen. I'm very excited to have that partnership in place now, and I hope you all are enjoying that little step up in the music that will be on all of the episodes moving forward, and you can find them at UmfreezMcGee.com. You should absolutely go see them if they are playing in a town near you or in your hometown, which most likely they are at some point during every year they tour endlessly basically and the episode with their bassist ryan stasek will be coming up soon and a future episode will be recorded as well with their manager kevin browning so i'm looking forward to both of those but i hope you enjoyed that you can also make sure that you keep your eye out for umphreys mcgee's new album coming out in november which will be titled zonky which is their first studio mashup album. Going to be really cool, so make sure you guys keep your eye out for that. And a big thank you as well to Holly of Roman Bell. You can find her music at romanbell.com, just like it sounds. Holly was gracious enough to offer up some of her music for this episode and a couple other episodes. So thank you so much, Holly. Thanks so much, you guys. I really appreciate everything and all your support to this point and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and in a week or so I'll be releasing the Fork in the Road with Bob where we will talk a lot more about podcasts and what he is currently working on and how that all kind of fits into 
life in general. I'm sure you will enjoy that one. So stay tuned for the Fork in the Road episode coming out next week with Bob. Bob.